welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This sermon is taken from the 2011 Annual Missions Conference. This is the second evening service of Friday the 3rd of June 2011, entitled Missions Misunderstood. And the Bible reading is taken from Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 56. Here's Brother Richard Rolls. All right, again, it's good to be in the house of the Lord and good to see each one of you here. We'd like to uh, pass out the faith promise cards if we could. Brother Larry, if you'd, you've already got them. Okay, that takes care of that. Very good, very good. All right, that's good, that's good. Don't want to disturb what's working, amen? If it's not broke, don't fix it. You've heard that one before, haven't you? All right. Uh, let's turn our Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, and uh, I want to talk to you this evening on the subject of the misunderstanding, uh, uh, misunder- missions misunderstood, or the misunderstanding in the realm or area of missions. You pray for me, ask the Lord to help me. Uh, none of us can do anything except what the Lord does, uh, maybe using it, doing it through us, so you pray and ask the Lord to help us, okay? Let's stand, please. We'll read verses nine, uh, chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. And uh, prior to reading that, I want to quote Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. Where the Bible says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And then in uh, Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 51, the Bible says, And it came to pass... When the time was come that he, speaking of Jesus, should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, Wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would help us tonight, that we might see the truth that you have for us. I pray that you'd help us to have the burden for lost people that you'd have us to have for them. And God, I pray that you'd work in our hearts to help us, Lord, that we might have the right vision, uh, the right heartbeat, the right concern, the right care, the right compassion, Lord, for lost people. And Lord, help us to be involved to the fullest extent you want us to be in missions, helping get the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I ask you, dear God, that you'd breathe life into this message. I pray, Father, that you'd not let it be old in any form, God, or stale. Uh, Pique our interest, God. I thank you for the presentation of our brother and what you're doing in his ministry in the church over in Wales. And we thank you for what you're doing in all the missionaries' ministries. Lord, this church is supporting and others around the world. We pray for them and thank you for them. But help us now in this moment. We pray in Jesus' name, and for his sake we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you, and may be seated. You know, 
It's amazing when you stop and realize the purpose for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ was to seek and to save the lost, that which was lost. And uh, all through the Bible, this is borne out. And uh, the New Testament especially bears this out so clearly. Uh, it was prophesied clear back in the book of Genesis when, when Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, the curse was passed on them. Uh, God said that the seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head, and that was a prophecy concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and His coming. But I want you to notice how much and how many places, and this, is, again, is not an exhaustive list, but I want, I want you to understand how missions is misunderstood. Uh, how it's just, people just don't get it, okay? And uh, this same thing is still going on today in so many hearts and lives. But going back in the Bible, you remember when the Lord Jesus was born and the wise men came uh, seeking him and they went to King Herod and Herod uh, commissioned them to go and find the young child that's born king of the Jews. And when they have found him, to come and bring him word so that he can go and worship him also. You remember that? But the real thing, the real purpose that Herod had was to do what? To kill him. Herod, did, he had no clue of the purpose and the importance of the coming of Jesus. And then... Uh, You'll notice this definitely is not the first time you go back into the book of Jonah. When Jonah, as a prophet of God, was commanded to go to Nineveh, uh, Nineveh was the capital of Syria, and uh, committing great atrocities against the people of God, even uh, holding them in bondage at that time. And uh, you find Jonah didn't want to go down there. He gets on a ship, heads in the opposite direction, going to Tarshish, and the Lord sent a great storm, ends up with Jonah being thrown out of the ship, you know, and in the whale's uh, belly. He cries out to God, and, and uh, uh, the Lord speaks to the whale, and the whale takes Jonah and vomits him out on dry ground. I've said time and again, a backslidden preacher will even make a whale sick, amen. <laughs> and and uh, he vomited him out. Well, Jonah goes and preaches to Nineveh, and God spares the city. I mean, God in His great mercy spares that city, and uh, Jonah got mad about it. I mean, and he said, it's better for me to die. Lord, I'd just, I, I just, I just rather die than to see what I'm looking at right here. And uh, I think we could safely say that Jonah did not understand the heart of God. He, he didn't have the right take on missions, amen. And, uh, and then you go on in the Scriptures, go, go over into the New Testament again, and uh, you find in the book of Luke chapter 5, uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus is in a certain place and there are the doctors and the lawyers gathered from every town, village round about. And, uh, and here is a palsied man born of four. And uh, they brought this man to the place where Jesus was. But uh, the Son of Man who came to seek and to save lost sinners, uh, they couldn't get this man into to Jesus. And I'm confident they went to every door and every window, and they're asking the people, please let us get through. Let us get this man to the Lord. They wouldn't do it. They end up going up on top of the house and breaking up the roof, and that's the term that's used in the Bible. They're actually tearing the roof up, and they made a hole big enough to let that man and the couch that he's laying on 
uh, down into the midst, the presence of the Lord. And uh, he, when he saw their faith, when Jesus not only saw that man as crippled, but saw the faith of those that brought him, and, that, and I want to interject right here. Uh, listen, when we're going out after lost people and working to bring them in, uh, God's not only look, looking at the faith or lack of faith on the part of that lost person, but he's looking at our faith that's being demonstrated. And I say that to encourage you. Uh, but when Jesus saw their faith, he said to this man, he said, man, thy sins be forgiven thee. And the crowd started murmuring, who is that forgives sin? Only God can forgive sin. Well, it was God forgiving the sins, amen. And uh, so the crowd is complaining. And Jesus said, look, which is these to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise, take up thy bed and walk? Well, it's easier to say thy sins be forgiven thee, because that's a shorter sentence. But uh, Jesus said, in effect, he said, okay, you think this is just talk. He said, we'll do it the hard way. He said, look, take your bed and go home. <laughs> and these folk, you know, these are doctors and lawyers and people that are supposed to be scholars of the word. And uh, they wouldn't only let the man in, but when he was healed and walking in the power of God, they were scared to death of him, and he had no trouble getting out. I believe that crowd parted like the Red Sea, amen. I mean, they're afraid for that man to touch him. They know what's going on, amen. Uh, missions misunderstood. Missions misunderstood. You go in the Gospel of John chapter 4, and uh, here's Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. Uh, you know, been married five times in the fellowship she's living with. Uh, she's not married to him, just shacking up with him. I guess that's a term used over here. Amen. But, uh, and, and the Lord, you know, the story how that, uh, he asked her for a drink of water and she said, in effect, hey, what's going on here? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We don't, we don't have any dealings with each other. And, uh, Jesus said, if you knew who was asking you, said you would ask me and I would give you living water and you take one drink of it and you never drink, you never thirst again. <laughs> she couldn't figure that out. She said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you greater than our father Abraham, which, uh, Jacob, rather, Jacob that gave us this well? You, the well's deep. You don't have anything to draw with. Finally, she asked him for the water. And, uh, Jesus said, go call your husband. And, you know, why did he do that? He's doing that because he wants to face her with her sin. You see, repentance and faith is the message, the dual uh, parts of the message. And uh, repentance first. But uh, she said, I have no husband and so on. Finally, she asked for the water. And uh, <laughs> I like what she did. Amen. Listen. She ended up leaving the well and the water pot and took, took the, uh, ended up leaving the water pot and took the well home with her. Amen. And she goes into the city and says, come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Isn't that amazing? Now, when the disciples came back, and they didn't look and say, look at there, fellas. Praise God. Another soul's going to get saved. No. They marveled that he was talking to that Samaritan lady. Amazed, marveled, astonished. Missions misunderstood. 
Well, these are not the only places. You go to the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. And uh, in the ver first 12 verses, Jesus has spoken on the subject of divorce. And I know a lot of people think, boy, if you ever get divorced, that's the end of the world. But uh, until it happens to them or one of their very close loved ones, and they start studying the Scriptures, see what the Bible says, and I'm not going to get off into that. But, hey, listen, uh, the Bible says in verse 13, and they brought young children to Jesus. I wonder if some of these children, if not many of them, were from broken homes. Maybe the product of homes where divorce had wrecked them. I don't know. But when the disciples saw this, they rebuked those that brought them. And when Jesus saw it, he did not pat those fellows on the back and say, Fellas, you're doing a good job. Keep it up. Keep these little kids out from here. They're too young. Know what's going on. Uh, nose running and some of them need a bath anyway. He, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. The Bible says he spoke to the disciples and said, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall in no wise go therein. You know, an adult in order to get saved has got to come as a little child. The disciples did not understand what was going on. And we could say in this particular instance, if you wanted to be a little hard on them, you could say they were anti-missions. They didn't understand it. Missions misunderstood. And, uh, hey, uh, in, the, in our text that we read here, Luke chapter 9, verse 54, when the Samaritans would not receive Jesus... And the reason they would not receive him is because his face was set as though he would go to Jerusalem. They hated the Jews. They hated the people of, of Jerusalem so badly that they said, if you're going to Jerusalem, you're not staying here. That's the end of that. Hmm. And the disciples come back. And I'm telling you, brother, they're just, as one fellow said, they're just about, about frothing at the mouth. And they said, Lord, you know what they said to us? What, what, what do you think? What, should we just go ahead and call fire down from heaven and consume them like Elias did? Well, that'd be a natural response. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what I'd, I might would have felt the same way, you know, if I'd been at the same stage in the Christian life as they were. But Jesus, <coughs> pardon me, he said, the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And notice, before he said this, he said, You know not what manner of spirit you're of. You, fellas, you've missed it. You have totally missed it. Missions misunderstood. Missions misunderstood. Well, Jesus said to be the Savior of the world. Luke 19, 10, the Son of Man come to seek and to save that which was lost. He invested his entire uh, ministry in demonstrating that in the last three and a third years of his life. But the religious crowd, religious people that should have appreciated this, 
I'm talking about in particular the Pharisees, Sadducees, and there were some Herodians also. But listen, nothing would satisfy them except killing the very one who had come to save them. Missions, again, misunderstood. Missions misunderstood. Well, you go into the book of Acts and you see where the Holy Spirit in His fullness comes. And, uh, hey, when He comes, uh, thousands began to get saved. And I'm not exaggerating. Uh, somebody said, not evangelistically speaking, amen. They actually did get saved. 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. And then in, in Acts chapter 3, uh, the, James and John going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. By the way, the personalities of these men could not have been more diverse. That wasn't the main thing, amen? Uh, they were together on the right things and the main things. And, and uh, ends up with a man uh, that was lame, couldn't walk, you know, and begging, laying at the gate. What was the name? I think the gate called Beautiful. And, uh, hey, when Peter came, he said, alms, alms, and Peter... <laughs> Listen to this. He said, silver and gold have I none. He is broke, amen, as far as the world was concerned. But he said, such as I have, give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the Bible said, he took him by the right hand and lifting him up, his feet and ankle bones received strength. And that fellow came unglued, walking. I mean, he leaping up, walking and leaping and praising God and holding James and John and all the people come running together. They've seen this fellow so much, they know who it is and they know he's been healed and God used that for an introduction for Peter to preach. I like God's introductions, amen. And uh, Peter preached. 3,000 souls get saved on the day of Pentecost. Now 5,000 men besides the women and children, get saved. And then you find the persecution, and Saul of Tarsus was helping to head that up and lead it. But in uh, the book of Acts again, Acts chapter 9, the Lord struck him down. Acts chapter 10, Paul ends up getting saved. Acts chapter 13, he's called into missions. He goes out preaching, and multitudes turning to the Lord. Church is being established Missions is underway. But you know what Paul is doing by Acts chapter 15? He's back in Jerusalem. And you know what he's doing in Acts chapter 15? He's defending his work in missions. You're talking about missions being misunderstood. It seems that all down through the ages, missions has been misunderstood. In the book of Acts chapter 8, God had not forgotten that he had told them in five different places that they were to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. But they settled down in Jerusalem, the early church, and brother, thousands, yes, were being saved, but God's will was for them to not only preach in Jerusalem, but to go outside of Jerusalem. And, uh, and they didn't do it. It took persecution, great persecution, to get the church out of Jerusalem to get them going. And when they got out of Jerusalem, you find in Acts chapter 9, it's no longer the church at Jerusalem, but in verse 31, the Bible says, then had the churches rest. And it's churches plural. Plural churches. Many churches. 
They're scattered throughout Judea, Samaria, and uh, and uh, and the different the very places that the Lord said they'd be witnesses in Acts chapter one and verse eight is where they went. But you know what happened? One year later, after seeing the result of missions, they're back in Jerusalem again. I mean, they just just didn't get it. Now, I said that to say this, and I'm not trying to indict anybody. But I wonder, sincerely, myself included, I wonder if we have the right take on missions. I wonder if we have the right understanding and uh, have the right, the the burden to the fullest extent that we ought to have. And I, I definitely, I include myself in that. Amen. I don't feel like I've arrived. I'm still growing. I'm still learning. And, uh, and I know I see so many churches. I'm told that only 10% of the churches that give to missions use faith promise. Only 10%. And yet, now listen, 90% of all that is given to sustain the missionaries around the world come from those 10% of churches like this one that use faith promise. Brother, there at the same time I'm seeing this, there are literally hundreds, hundreds of missionaries, missionary families that are on deputation trying to raise their support, trying to get to the various fields of their calling. There are literally hundreds more of missionaries that are hanging on by a thread, barely able to stay on the field where they are and uh, contemplating the possibility of having to leave uh, the field to go back to the United States or go back to wherever their home uh, land is to raise support. And there are many, I don't know how many missionaries, but there are many missionaries that I know of that are leaving the field and are currently working on deputation trying to raise additional support because of the downturn in the economy. If we could just get another 10% of the churches to get behind faith promise, there, there wouldn't be, this wouldn't be going on. It wouldn't be happening. But at the same time, I'm saying this, and again, I'm not trying to indict anybody. Listen, uh, in the churches that participate in faith promise, I would say that it is exceptionally rare to find a church anywhere, even using faith promise, where 100% of the members are participating. And again, how much more, how much more could we do if everybody would get on board? If everybody would heartily support this, this matter of the outreach of missions. Now, I can tell you, folk, the people that get saved under the missionaries' endeavor, they don't have a question about whether somebody gave too much to help get the gospel to them. Amen. I think of a fellow down in Mexico, and his name was Jose Angel uh, Zamora. And uh, Joe Angel Zamora was the name. He was a customs official. I mean, he had about six or eight guys under him that checked the heavy cargo trucks going in and out of Mexico at a particular point on the border where he worked in Matamoros, Tamaulipas, uh, Mexico. And, uh, and 
he heard a noise outside of his house one day on a vacant lot, or rather was supposed to be vacant, but people had gathered. And he told his son, uh, Jose had already, you know, taken off his, his uh, uniform and, and uh, was sitting in the house kind of cooling down and no air conditioning. But he said to his son, he said, son, he said, go out there and see what that noise is about. And this little boy, about, I don't know, eight or nine years old, he comes running back in. He said, dad, dad, he said there's some people out there, said they're showing a film. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's in color. You need to come see it. And uh, this customs official gets up, puts his pants on, you know, and uh, slips his shirt on, goes outside, and he saw a film on the burning hell. And after the film had finished, a man got up and preached, gave a simple presentation of the gospel of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he said, now, and he's using a, a, a PA system. He said, now, folk, I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And, of course, they did. He said, now, if there's anyone here that would like to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you lift your hand, please? And uh, Jose said, uh, Brother Rawls, he said, God had smitten my heart. And he said, I started to raise my hand. But he said, when I did, he said, I thought about that dirty money that I was receiving from those cargo trucks going in and out across the border there. He said, you see, every truck pays 100 pesos, which then was the equivalent of $8. And he said, I don't keep all that money. He said, I pass it up. And then they divvy it out, you know, among the different ones. And, and he said, without that money, he said, I lose my car. I lose my furniture. My house paid for it, so I don't lose that. He started down the line, the list of things that he'd lose. And he said, I took my hand back down. And something is said, but you're going to go to hell forever. And he said, I started to raise my hand again. And he said, I thought, but I'll lose my job. And he said, I put my, didn't put my hand up. But he said the third time, said, you're going to go to heaven forever when you trust Jesus. Won't you slip your hand up? And he said, I raised my hand and I had counted the cost. You know, when that man was telling me that, it was the next week after that meeting that was being held by people from our church. And, uh, hey, uh, he told me, he said, Brother Rawls, he said, now, here's my problem. Now, listen carefully. He said, the old Joe Angel, El Jose Angel Viejo, said the old Joe Angel, he had no problems with that dirty money. But he said, the new Joe Angel, only one week old, the Lord. He said the new Joe Angel is having all kind of trouble with that money. He said, tell me what to do, Brother Rawls. And I said to him, I said, Brother Joe, I said, uh, I will grant you. We were sitting in our, our Volkswagen van. I said, I will grant you that it's easier for me to sit over here and tell you than it would be if I was sitting over there and you was telling me. But I said, in effect, you already know what you have to do. And uh, I said, I will add this. I said, if you don't do right, you're going to lose the joy that you found last week when Jesus came into your heart. Sin will break that fellowship. You'll lose that joy. But I said, a second thing you're going to find is the Lord will chastise you. 
for not doing right because you're one of his own. But I said, then a third thing you're going to find is that sin has lost its zing. You can no longer enjoy sin. It's not going to be a pleasure. It's not going to be, you're not going to enjoy sin any longer. And I said, in effect, you know, you're ruined, amen, <laughs> as far as the world's concerned. <laughs> and uh, you know what that man was doing? From the very time I started saying, look, uh, you already know, he was shaking his head yes, like this, agreeing, in agreement with me. And then listen to what he told me. He said, Brother Rawls, he said, in reality, I've already spoken to my wife, and he said, we've already decided that if I have to dig ditches with my hands using a pick and shovel, he said, we're going to do right. He said, I'm going to go in tomorrow. He said, I'm going to ask them to give me a job where I don't have to handle that dirty money. And he said, if they won't give me that, give me a job where I can, and a livable salary, he said, then I'm going to say, okay, we're friends, but I'm gone. And he said again, he said, if I have to, if I have to dig ditches, he said, I'm going to do right. I'm going to do right for God. Came back in the next day, and I said to him, I said, Joe, how'd it go? He said, well, he said, uh, they gave me a job, and they took him off the docks where he was uh, supervising the trucks going in and out, and the six or eight guys they had under him. And they put him in the back room plunking a typewriter and no air conditioning. Hot, man, not uncommon for a 102 or 3 degrees, you know, temperature down there. And uh, a year later, he's still in that room, faithfully witnessing, still going on. And the guys that he was working with that knew he had that good job before, they'd laugh at him. They said, Joe, look, don't talk to us about your religion. Man, we can't afford it. You had a good job. Look where you're at now. Look what your religion got you into. And I told Joe, I said, Joe, I don't know how long it'll be. And I said, I guarantee you, God will honor what you've done. God will honor that. He's pleased with it. He'll honor it. A year from the time, I guess almost to the month, from the time that Joe did this, the official from Mexico City came up, and they're just kind of keeping an eye on everything, and they spent an entire week with that particular uh, uh, station, uh, customs station, checkpoint, and they're looking everything over and talking, and they're inquiring about why is Joe Angel not out here on the docks? Well, you know, some people can't handle a, a little bit of authority and yada, yada. Well, by the end of that week, they knew what had happened. They went into his little cubicle, little office, you know, no air conditioning, little table, barely big enough to hold a typewriter, manual typewriter at that, and some papers that he's, you know, copying, typing, and whatever. And... uh they said, Joe said, uh, I'd like to talk to you. Said, I wonder if you're interested in having your old job back. And Joe pushed back from his little typewriter, and he said, I'd be interested in talking about it under one condition, that I don't have to handle that dirty money that you know is being passed out there among those men on those docks. They said, you wouldn't have to handle that money, and we're not talking about putting it over six or eight guys. We need somebody who's a man of integrity and honesty, responsible, that we can put over this whole shooting match. And they put him over the whole, the whole outfit. I heard about it the next day, and I saw him that night, and I said, 
Joe, I said, I heard you got a promotion that they put you over 125 men. He said, no, brother. I said, it's 133. <laughs> I said, well, amen. I said, God's honored you. But I said, now I want to ask you one thing. I said, are you still witnessing? I said, he said, yes, brother. I said, are the fellows still laughing at you? He said, no, brother. You don't laugh at your boss. He might fire you. Amen. Folk, listen, this thing is real. It is just as real as it can possibly be. And we're right in sending missionaries out, going to the ends of the earth. There is no possible way that we can fulfill the Great Commission as individuals, except as we work collectively in sending missionaries out around the world. This is biblical. This is exactly what Paul did and churches contributed to his ministry and others in helping them in the New Testament when the, when the uh, Bible was being written. We're right on track. And uh, the Bible tells us, He that winneth souls is wise, and we're gathering fruit for all of eternity. And one day we're going to rejoice, and we're going to see just how short and brief this life was. And we will not regret one soul that we witnessed to. Doesn't matter if they laughed at us. We won't regret one track we passed out. We won't regret one trip we made to church. We won't re regret one pound that we gave to missions or that we gave into the general treasury. We won't regret backing up and supporting the overall unity and program of the church and supporting the pastor and standing with him and standing with the leadership of the church. We won't regret having lived right, amen, so that our testimony doesn't have a hollow ring. We won't regret we won't regret, amen, we won't regret anything except the opportunities we miss. Hello? Missions misunderstood. I told you about the trip that we made down to Venezuela, South America. I wish that we could take a trip tonight, and I know you don't see this here in England, but I wish we could take a trip to some of these third world countries and see people literally crawling on their knees in a procession, crawling behind a little box, a glass uh, box. It's a doll is in it, supposed to represent the Virgin of that state, representing the Virgin Mary. And see these people as they're crawling, and sometimes to the extent that their knees are bleeding and they can be tracked in their own blood. And see some of these people as they beat themselves on their naked back, until their back literally looks almost like a piece of hamburger. And see these same people as they kneel before the idols and see them as they go to funerals of their loved ones and weep and cry and wail with such hopelessness and see some of those people as they faint because they cannot handle the sorrow in their heart. But then leave that and go with me to a church where they know the Lord, where people are being saved, the gospel is being preached, and hear those people sing. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. I never will forget, we were down in language school, and the first time I heard people singing like this in Spanish, and we had about a hundred and, I don't know, 150 or so Latin American people that were there at the language school. They were not studying the language. They already spoke Spanish. Uh, but they were studying the Bible and better preparing themselves to go back to their country for the most part 
to reach their own people. And they were singing something like, there's power, power. I pull that, pull that, scenic wall, pull that in. Man, they were making a rafters ring. Oh, man, they were singing. I'm telling you, singing. And I told Nora, I said, and I said, honey, I said, praise God, this is so good, I'm about to shout. She said, don't you do it. <laughs> I said, I'm trying. She said, don't you do it. <laughs> you know, try and keep her voice down, amen. You ever, it, it, can you imagine a steam engine that's got so much steam that it's beginning to leak steam around the rivets? It's ready to blow wide open. That's, that's what I felt like I was. I mean, I felt like, about like a steam engine that's just ready to blow wide open. Amen. I mean, just the joy, the blessing, the peace. And then see these people as they weep and pray for their lost loved ones, family members. And see them cry and weep over them. See these same people stand up in the face of persecution and then see them die smiling and comforting the people around them and telling them, don't worry, don't worry. I'm going to be with the Lord and we'll see each other later on. Miss Cole Shields on me, amen. Oh, man. Then see our dollars, our pounds, see our money as it helps to place not just that missionary where he's at and this is going on, but to see our funds putting new missionaries in other places where the gospel is being preached and a new light is shining in a dark place. New water given in a thirsty land. I say again, and I close, one day there won't be any further misunderstanding about missions we'll understand with perfect clarity. The only thing we'll say then, I think, is, Lord, I so wish I'd understood better. And I wish I'd given you more. More of my life, more of my funds, more of everything. Well, we still have an opportunity to give him more, don't we? And I challenge you, give your life, give yourself, give your all. Let's all commit everything we have to the Lord. And I try, I, I, I tell the Lord uh, from time to time, Lord, I'm asking you to take my house, take my family, take my vehicles. I pray, God, you'll take even the clothes I wear. God, use me for your honor and for your glory. Let's stand, please, their heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to ask you to be praying about your faith promise offering, asking the Lord what he would have you to do, or better stated, Ask the Lord what he desires to do through you. Ask him what he desires to do through you. And then ask him to give you faith to trust him to that end. And then this coming Sunday or when you take your faith promise cards up, uh, be ready to make that commitment by faith for the glory of God. Saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you to give through me for your cause a world evangelization what you would not otherwise give to me for my own personal use. And Lord, as you give it to me, I'm going to be faithful to pass it on. Could I challenge you to do that for God's glory? The Lord can use one of a number of ways to supply your need. And all of these are found in the scriptures. He may use your employment. He did that with the apostle Paul. And he's done that with others. 
It may be that the Lord will give you a gift or a number of gifts. He's done that in the scriptures in supplying people's needs. Maybe that the Lord will rearrange your outgo so you have less sickness, less car trouble, less maintenance on your house. And uh, uh, he's done that again in the scriptures. Could be that he gives you the spirit to sacrifice joyfully. He did that with the churches of Macedonia. In another place in the book of Hebrews, the writer said you took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing that in heaven you have a better and an enduring substance. Maybe that the Lord will work the supernatural. He did that with Simon Peter when the tax money was due. Jesus said to Peter, said, go fishing. Take up the first fish that cometh up. How could he say and be positive the first fish? It's because the Lord was going to keep all the other fish from biting until that one got on the hook. He's in control of even the creatures of the sea. May there be millions or billions. He's in control of them. Father, I pray that you'd help us, that we might be sensitive to your leading and do exactly what you want, nothing more, nothing less. I'm not trying to use cunningly devised fables. I know that one day I'll stand before you to give an account for my life, the things, the deeds done in this body, for the sermons and messages that I've preached and the way I've presented them. And so, Lord, I'm trying as best I know how to be honest and as best as I know how to do right. And I pray, dear God, that you'd honor the Word, not because I've preached it, but, Lord, because it is your Word, I pray that you'd honor it and use it to edify and strengthen each of us as your people. And I pray, God, that your perfect will be done, Lord, in the matter of not only giving ourselves to walk with you in purity and cleanliness, holiness, but help us to give of our means. And, Lord, that our heart be totally right with you. Keep your hand on us, Lord. Protect us, Father, from the sin and evil, the wreck and ruin that's out there. And so many people that's making shipwrecked. I pray, God, help us as we get older, Lord, that you'd watch over us. And God, bless this dear church. I love these dear folk. I love them dearly. And I pray to God that nothing but the best will be given to them for Jesus' sake. And I pray that you'd help us all, Father, to invest for eternity. In thy name we pray. With our heads still bowed and eyes closed, ask you come, please, if there's anyone that needs to come. I want to ask you to slip out. I wonder how many would lift your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm praying about my faith promise. I want to be, I want to do exactly what the Lord wants me to do. Would you slip your hand up, please? I'm praying about my faith promise. Hold your hand up if you're praying. All right, maybe all, thank you. Take your hands down. Maybe you already know. Uh, just do what the Lord puts on your heart. Amen. Mm -hmm. 